Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right. Welcome, everybody. We have a fantastic guest on today. I'm so, so excited. So we've got Les Norman. Les was born into poverty. He endured childhood abuse. He overcame insurmountable odds, uh, and he's reached the pinnacle of his profession. So for people that are looking to do something on a, a media basis, they want to get syndicated. For those that don't quite get it, uh, syndicated is a big, big deal. And uh, he's got a show called Breaking the Norm. He's a former Major League Baseball player. He's a professional keynote speaker. And uh, he really just helps people dive deep and unlock their unlimited potential. We all have it. It was given to us by God. And it's up to us to figure out how to get the most out of it. So welcome to the show, Les. Ben, it's great to be here. When you start off with a fantastic guest, you know, you're setting, you're setting your guests up to be, to be let down, man. <laughs> I don't, I gotta, that's a lot to live up to in an hour or so. So I appreciate the intro, but again, like you said, it's, it's a God thing. You and I both had talked about in the, in the pre show here about our, our size and limitations vertically in yeah. life. And so um, it's just really cool to see what God does. And and God is not enamored or surprised by size. He's the one that created us. And he's the one that that, that put those desires in us to glorify him. And so uh, it's, it's just up to us to use what we got. Yeah, I don't know if uh, David and Goliath was a story that uh, stuck to you as you were a kid, but you know, <laughs> yeah, that was one of the many that I latched on to. Yeah, it did. And, you know, just recently we were talking about an author that we that we like and um, I was reading his book and found out I, w- I was always wondering about David, you know, with the whole sling and the nine foot giant and Goliath and all that. But I guess there was some research done that a, a, an average size smooth stone in the hand of an expert slung across a football field could get to the other side in less than three seconds and upon impact have the same impact as a 45 caliber pistol. So <laughs> that goes to show you. It doesn't matter what your size is. It just matters how you're able to use the the expertise that God's given you. So that's pretty interesting. And how in the heck, like the odds of that shot happening still seem insurmountable to me. Well, it didn't to David. David stood up there and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who's, who's, you know, calling out the armies of the living God, you got to be kidding me kind of thing. So I don't think David was worried about his accuracy in that moment. He was worried about defending God's honor. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, oldest daughter, she's eight. And last night she says, well, miracles don't just happen. They take time. And my wife may have a kidney stone. And so we're like, we want want her to get better right away. And God doesn't just, and I say, he absolutely does, sweetie. Yeah. He does. It's going to feel like a miracle. She has a kidney stone and have to pass it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It does take time. But what wisdom from an eight-year-old? Well, no, she was on the opposite side. She says, Mir- miracles oh, don't okay. happen like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I said, what are you Got thinking? It. And she says, they take time, blah, blah, blah. I said, I brought up a couple quick stories. And she says, mm-hmm. yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. But that was when Jesus was here. I said, okay. Yeah, we'll, okay. We'll circle back around later and have some more conversations, you know, about Lords. And she said, yeah, 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 dad. <laughs> it was bedtime. Yeah, the thing that's cool about that, though, is, you know, God tells us that unless you unless you become like one of these, I mean, we're all to have a childlike faith. And and even as adults, God wants us to ask him questions. And when we're unsure of something, you know, it's amazing how your daughter or any any young one will just come out and blah. And just blurt that question right out. But there's so much wisdom behind it. And it's that seeking, that that heart that is seeking that that says things like that. So I think it's really cool that that your daughter, even as she thinks it, right or wrong, she's processing what truth is and, and trying to learn through that. And I think that's what God wants from us. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. I love her questions that are challenging questions that maybe I'm not up to speed on or, <laughs> or haven't read in a while or, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a big book and uh, you can't be 100% on all of it all the time. Right. <laughs> right. For sure. 
So that's why it, uh, I always encourage continual study. And uh, I know this morning you've got your own group and that's one of the reasons. Well, first I'd like to thank Billy Wickham for putting us together and connecting us. So great Kansas city guy, good friend of mine over the years. So that was really cool. And I say, Hey, what are you putting us together for? And he says, Oh, you, you you'll find out as soon as you meet him. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we've gotten to that point. If you haven't yet, just keep searching. We'll figure it out. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm great. That, I'm honored that we connected and, and happy that, you know, it's cool to see what you're doing as well. And I, I love the podcast that you're doing. And, uh, you know, we all need to be good dads. We need to, you know, it, we, we have Abba Father in God and, and that's daddy. He's our daddy. And so, you know, one of the things I try to tell men is when we stand before the Lord, I believe one of the things we're going to be held accountable for is, and I don't know the exact words because we're not there yet, but God, I believe, is going to say, hey, I gave you that woman and I gave you those children. How'd you do? You know, you you are in charge. So we as men are are to prepare our bride and our children to stand before the Lord one day. And we're going to be held accountable for what kind of job we did. And so um, the journey of a Christian dad is it is a journey. And, and I love the title and I love the why behind it. So thank you for what you're doing. And I think that's just uh, it's amazing. We need it. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, when I heard the statistics and, you know, kids go to church and not that church is a hundred percent of everything, but it's a pretty good measurement. You know, if you're going to look for a measurement or staying in line with the faith, that yeah. was a pretty good one. But 90% of kids will go to church on their own after high school. If dad was the reason why the family went to church. Right. If dad sings during the mass, you can tell he's locked in and then other behaviors, you know, follow along with it. But sure main message. If dad's locked in, kids are going to follow. Yeah, absolutely. So when I heard that, I said, man, I got to change my life quickly. I didn't have kids yet. Right. But But, but you got it on that side of it. And for those that do that are listening, you know, it's not too late. You can, you can restart a, a habit and a legacy right where you're at. Even if you, even if your kids are 15, 16, 17, you've never done it. So at any time you can, but it's really good when you've done it like you did, where you didn't have kids yet, but you were forward thinking that one day the plan is to have children. And so therefore, I want to make sure that I secure, I help secure their spiritual future by creating a habit that's going to obviously bless their life. And you're blessing your grandkids that don't even exist yet. So, you know, it's it's that domino that continues to fall. So uh, good on you for, for making that decision. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your previous history was or your, what your family's legacy was. You can change Mm -hmm. it. That it's up to you. So that's right. You've got a little uh, Christian group also called fearless men. And I love the title of it. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that I love about you. You've got your professional life, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, your life in general is based on positivity and you bring stories based on that. However, on your inside your Facebook group and in your life, you just are, are bold. I would use that word. Yeah. <laughs> and then with bold comes kind of fearless, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in a baseball terminology, I look at those guys that are base stealers, the guys that are known for it and you know, they're going to run. I'm like, man, those guys just are not afraid to get thrown out. They're just going for it all the time that fearless man, you know, getting involved in your group. I'm like, man, this is really cool. Like these guys are engaged and you've become really, really vulnerable in there, which is something guys don't do. Yeah. You know, we got to be perfect on the outside and broken on the inside, but we're not going to let anybody know. And that's something we've got to change that with society overall. Absolutely. And and that was the goal from the beginning. I mean, uh, the whole name Fearless Men comes from a place of, you know, being fearless isn't, well, I'm not afraid to jump off a cliff or fly an airplane or jump out of an airplane or something like that. The, the biggest fears we have is becoming known because we, we live this masquerade. We want people to think we got it all together, that we're strong, that we're smart, that we don't make mistakes, that whatever it may be, the, the stigma or the stereotype that are put on men even and Christian men as well, that you have to have really large muscles, a really large bank account, a beautiful wife, perfect family, big house, all those things. And, and none of that could be further from the truth. And as a matter of fact, you know, that that's a lie that Satan tries to get us to believe all the time that we have to live like that. And, and you can only put that masquerade on so long, but it's a house of cards. The, the lightest breeze 
is going to blow that whole thing down if you're not prepared for it. And so being fearless is to share as men in that group, the things that we struggle with, how can we band together? How can we pray together? And it all points to what God's word says, because trust me, in that group, there are many men that are more biblically scholarly than I am. They know the word <laughs> more than I do. They their Their IQs are a lot higher. But for me, I'm just, I'm a bridge between these guys that I, I'm hoping will become intentional in their families and in their life, be fearless in how they share parts of their life. And it's never mandatory. Well, obviously we don't call on people, but, and we, we just have some interviews and great things like that. But the idea is simply to teach them to be vulnerable, to grow closer to God so they can be greater men in their life and spheres of influence. Any tips on how to do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Open the Bible and hang on. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it, it's a funny question, but it, but it's a great question. The, the first thing is that, you know, Jesus modeled, I mean, he obviously he didn't have a wife and children, but, but Jesus modeled behavior on how we're supposed to treat people, how we're supposed to love people. And obviously the two commandments, love God and love people. And if you stick with those, everything else is going to be in a direct result of loving God and loving people. He modeled the behavior. Jesus was was both man and God and came to earth. So he knows our struggles. He was he was hungry. You know, he was tired. Um, he obviously was physically bruised and beaten and hurt. He, he understands every part of what it is to be a, a fearless man. And a fearless man isn't the absence of fear. Uh, a fearless man is, is recognizing, hey, there are some things that freak us out, that scare us, that are hard, but it's realizing that and then doing it anyway. The fearless isn't the absence of fear. The fearless is, is trusting in God and, and stepping out in faith and doing the hard things. Um, some of those hard things of being fearless, you know, I, I, treating my bride the way she deserves to be treated. And here in uh, two weeks, I'm going to celebrate my 24th wedding anniversary. And I haven't been perfect in 24 years. She's been way closer to perfect than I'll ever hope to be. But I, the best thing to be a fearless husband is to open God's word and see what he says about it, to be a fearless dad, to open God's word and see what he says about it, to invest time, to to love and care in God's way. You know, the funny thing is, and I'll end this part with this, loving your wife isn't always, or loving your husband even, isn't always the, the cool emotional feelings like you have in your honeymoon stage, or it's not, you know, the, the sex thing or the money thing, or it's just always the positive, positive, positive. The, the true love of someone is when, when I'm not lovable, she loves me anyway. When she might be, she might say something that hurts me, or maybe I feel emasculated or disrespected or something like that. Understanding that it wasn't intentional, that it was simply, I need to love her the way God has called me to love. And my love of my family, my love of you, my love of people, the fearless men should never be a direct result on, hey, what can you give me? What can you do for me? I'm going to wait and see the type of person you are before I love you. Because if Jesus did that, we're all unlovable. We're all out of luck. And so the idea is, and being fearless is to open God's word and see how he lived his life. And then to love him and love people the way he did. And that's for who they are. I mean, Jesus ran to lepers and tax collectors and sinners. He didn't come hang out with the people who thought they had it all together. And so the the roadmap obviously is straight into God's word. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know you get up in the morning and, you know, first, second, third thing. Of course, we've got our manly duty to hit the head. Yep. And then after that, you get into the Bible and that's something I've uh, really, really enjoyed in my own life is having that one of the first things that I do as well. Yeah. And I love doing it with a uh, Bible devotional where you mm -hmm. can chat with some other guys at the same time and get that community building because uh, you can get a little bit vulnerable. You can tell people what's going on in your life and help them with what's going on in their life. Just right. a way to get it out because us as solitary guys, that's not the way we should do life. Right. And a lot of people on like the fearless men or on a podcast or something like that, there's still the slight anonymity of being behind a screen and in home because, you know, you can always shut it off or something like that. Not everybody. You know, I've spoken in front of crowds of 10,000 people. I've spoken to five people and anywhere in between. I did a servant leadership presentation two days ago and um, there were 11 people. You know, so it doesn't matter what kind of room, but I can do that. I enjoy that. I enjoy being vulnerable and helping other people and, and just being a keynote speaker. But the majority and, and actually 
four of the 11 people in that room, their biggest fear is public speaking. And part of what we're going to be doing is having them come in front, but they'll face oh me and not the, but they'll face me, not the crowd. Okay. So they'll, they'll feel the heat behind them. Yeah. But yet, you know, the, the idea is, is that in the, in this fearless men room and podcast or something like that, they can be vulnerable and yet slowly but surely grow and not have to just dive right into the arena of the, the corn dog lights from Quick Trip shining right on them, you know, slowly basting until they burn kind of thing. <laughs> so it, uh, it, it's, a, it's a process, but it provides guys at least a little bit of an opportunity to step out of their comfort zone. Because if it was just a big, okay, you just have to, we're going to meet in person every day and you have to stand up and talk. Well, we might have 10 guys in there because that's not how people are built. So we just want it to be comfortable for them. Hey, you mentioned 24 years of marriage mm-hmm. and mentioned your wife's closer to perfect than you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And you've tripped up a little bit in your marriage. Yeah. You got a story or something that you're comfortable sharing or... Oh yeah. I'm, I'm no holds barred, man. So um, the question back at you would be, are you comfortable enough for me to be real and share the story? That's what I would ask you. Yeah. Yeah. I am. am. All right. All right. Well, well, here we go. Um, When I was, when I was seven years old, I, um, I heard my dad, my, again, my dad's super abusive, alcoholic, uh, among many other things and horrible things to my mom, my sister and I. And so when I was seven years old, he had, he had uh, yelled at me to bring him a screwdriver. And so I got what I thought was a screwdriver and brought it in and opened the door to his, his bedroom in this rundown, horrible little trailer thing that we live. But hey, it was, it was a roof over our head at the time. And so um, I walked into the room to give him the screwdriver. And right there, as I opened the door on the nightstand, was this pornographic magazine. And interestingly enough, I mean, that was uh, 45 years ago. And, and because the way the human mind thinks and the imprint, especially pornographic visual things in, in, a, in a man's mind who's so visual when when that imprint hits you remember it so I remember the title the colors the picture everything and and Dan I'll tell you what I'd love to forget every part of that but I just can't and so um, the dopamine's flooding into my brain at that time and uh, so I kind of laughed uncomfortably because I didn't know what it was my dad got mad and threw something at me called me a name, cursed at me and yelled at me to get out of there. And so then I ran in my bedroom and huddled in my closet and just started bawling and and shaking in fear because I had no idea. I couldn't process at seven years old what a grown man shouldn't even be processing because it's not what we should be looking at. And so uh, over the years, I had, I had, I was told that, well, how you become a man is you, you, you have a beer in your hand and a woman on your arm and you're working to have the beer, bring your muscles up to get the girl in bed. And, and as a teenager, that was what you, you succeeded athletics, you're popular and, and you're in the conquest of the females. And, and that's how I grew up thinking. Anytime there was a certain situation that happened in life, I was insecure, uh, it didn't turn out the way, whatever it may be, there was always that pull, you know, and then going into high school and college and living that kind of life and not seeing pornography as wrong or having premarital sex as wrong. It was a way of life. It was something to pursue. And so it was athletics and females. And so as you go through life, obviously I met my bride and, you know, we had, our kids were little at the time, but I was really, I wasn't struggling with the sex pornography. I was struggling with, at a particular time, I was struggling with insecurity. I was still struggling with, well, I made it to the big leagues, but I never got an opportunity. And there was a situation where I had it pulled out from under me. I was told I'd made the team. I'd earned it. My stats were there, but they went ahead and took somebody else. And I never saw a day in the big leagues again. And so um, from my dad, from coaches, it was failure. You're a failure. You're a failure. And so every time that failure thing came, I was a believer. I was a good dad, but I was failing as a husband because I was projecting my insecurities onto her. And so I would dive into peeking at pornography and then I would start to get angry and then that would manifest itself. So over time, you know, I was, I was looking at it. It wasn't like a full blown every minute of every day kind of thing, but it's where I would go periodically just to kind of get my mind to forget and to have that dopamine release. And because it was my way of not having to feel like I was a failure. But then as, as the anger started, my bride started to notice something is different about him. 
And then we started to get in these little bickering arguments consistently. I'm really good with words. So, you know, being a speaker, I can manipulate and twist and turn. And I was getting to a point where I was making every argument like it was her fault. Her fault. I was, yeah. And the funny thing was, and, well, not funny. The sad thing was, is that my bride is also a, a child of divorce. People in her life that she trusts when they let her down, that was a real shock to her when she was little. And there were other different divorces in the family and broken family issues and dysfunction. And so she once said to me, Dan, she said, you know, you're the only person that never let me down in my life. And I knew wow. when she said that to me that I had been viewing pornography, but I couldn't tell her because now I didn't want to be another one that broke her heart. And so I hit it because I knew what it would do to her. I knew it would crush her. Did now, you want to tell her? Oh my gosh. I, I wanted, it was such a weight on my shoulders. I couldn't even look in the mirror, let alone look at her. I wow. mean, I, I wanted to be found out. I mean, secretly, I, if you'd asked me then, if, I, if you would have been the one guy that known, heck no, I don't want her to find out. I don't want anybody to know that I'm looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. And it's not what God designed. I'm committing adultery. That's someone's daughter on that image or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. That's someone's son that's in there. And what broken family did they come? And God loves them too. And I'm using those poor people to escape from something and to get some kind of physical, physiological, psychological rush. I mean, that's wrong from all sides. So I wanted to be found out and uh, pretty soon, God was going to bring that to fruition. So there was a time where we were, we were arguing a lot. And she looked at me, and I remember standing in my kitchen one time, and I said, you know, I'm tired of you disrespecting me. And, you know, my wife is my lifting partner for years. She's five foot one, but she's wow. a, a powerhouse. She's this <laughs> tiny, sweet little thing. But trust me, she knows her way around a weight room and strong, and she's super smart, and she's an incredible friend, and she's loyal and the godliest woman that I know and doesn't yell. She doesn't raise her voice ever. And I said that to her, and she turned and snapped in a raised voice, and I said, I'm, I'm tired of you disrespecting me. And she turned, she said, well, then earn it. And that was, the, that was the first domino to fall on, on my way to what I call being found out. But really what that is, is it's on my way to freedom. And so um, we were bickering, bickering, bickering. And then one time she slept on the couch and she saw the iPad on the floor and I had been erasing history <laughs> when I would do it, you know, your typical hiding yeah. and all those things. And so she had never even thought about checking history. I had all my passwords and could do what I wanted, come and go as I please on, on uh, technology. All of a sudden she felt in her heart, check the iPad. And the Holy Spirit was, was talking to her saying, check the iPad. So she did. And there was one thing that I'd forgotten. So I think it was a day or two later, I was wrapping Christmas presents and we started arguing again. She didn't say it right away. She didn't call me out right away. So we're going back and forth and I was doing my manipulation. Part of it was to hide because I didn't want to break her heart. The other part was it was my way to control it. I was angry, frustrated, living in sin. And so I was manipulating and controlling her. So I went upstairs. I got my point. I got my last word and bam, got you. I, I got you. I, I know what I'm saying. So I go upstairs. I'm wrapping Christmas presents. And all of a sudden, about five minutes later, the door opens and she flings the iPad in the air at me like a Frisbee. It hits the carpet, spins, slides across the floor, and literally stops directly in front of my eyesight. <laughs> and I knew right then I was busted. I just hung my head. She walked out. I sat there for a minute and just horrified that I had been caught and yet finally felt the freedom that finally, finally, this may come to an end. So I grabbed the iPad went downstairs, laid it to her and said, I don't deserve to have this anymore. I cannot be trusted with any of this. And I said, I know we're going to talk, but right now I'm just going to go in the other room. Uh, I'm sorry I hurt you and just walked away. And so over the next couple of days, you know, we both from our ends weren't sure that we were going to, we were going to make it. And I mean, this was years ago, you know, 13, 14, I don't know, something teen years ago, she had looked up an every man's battle conference online. And I'd known about the books, but never read the books. Cause why do I want to read something when I'm living in sin? I it's hard enough living this double life. And that, so, that one's a perfect title. It is because yeah. for guys, if you're clueless and think maybe you're the only one, <laughs> the title or, or, is every man's battle. So, right. Or you're trying to deny it. 
you ask a guy in a room if you've ever looked at pornography or struggled with lust, you know, 95 out of 100 guys will raise their hand and the other five guys are just lying. Mm -hmm. it, It is every man's battle because we are built visual people. Right. I agreed to go. I didn't want to go to this conference in Orange, California to, to get better and learn biblical principles of overcoming pornography and lust issues. I didn't want to share a room with someone I didn't know. I mean, I'm an athlete. I'm a baseball player. I had my own room and or I had a roommate of someone I knew. I didn't want to do that. But I wanted to save my marriage because I knew that I had done some serious damage. One of the blessed, the other blessing out of that is that Kristen realized that she had been putting me on a pedestal that I didn't belong on. You know, I didn't oh, wow. belong in the I didn't belong in the throne room of her heart, and she had held me up on a pedestal like you're the only one that's never hurt me. No, Jesus is the only one that's never hurt you. God is the one that we need to. She stood in the kitchen as we end this part of the story. She stood in the kitchen and said, "Look, I need to let God have you. I need you to. I need to give you over to the Lord, and I need to focus on my one-on-one because obviously." I put you somewhere where you didn't belong. And that's on me. That's something that she had said. She said, I need to work on me, but I need to let God work on you. And she said, when I walked out the door, she took me to the airport that day. She had for the first time to realize we may not make it. Our Our marriage may not make it. This may end. But regardless of that, my meaning her, my relationship with the Lord has to be more important than my relationship with my husband or ex-husband, depending on where that goes. Mm-hmm. So um, for her to yeah, pick up, like however mm-hmm. she got that message and it became so clear to her and men, what we often do is prior, or, uh, put our wives on a pedestal. Yeah, and absolutely. We do. And, and, and worship that's, her. That is that's, and that's sinful because, you know, worship the Lord, your God only is what the word says. And we, we do do that. We, we put them on a pedestal, our family or our checkbooks or our prestige or popularity, whatever it may be. We do that. And what a wise thing for her to do. She didn't scratch and scream and fight. She gave me over to the Lord instead of she didn't she didn't rail me. She didn't demean me. And, you know, so I went there. And I remember Dan walking in there thinking, well, I don't belong here. These people are the sinners, not me. I just looked at a couple different things, and which is what most people in denial do when they're addicted to something or when they get busted in sin. But within just a couple hours of that conference, I mean, our speaker was a guy named Jason Martinkus. Stephen Arterburn also spoke, who was a co-author with Fred Stoker of Every Man's Battle book and series. He stood up and said, look, we're all here for, for different reasons of the same addiction. And uh, there's no shame here. And, you know, Romans 8, 1, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I had never heard that before. One of the reasons I was doing what I was doing was because I was ashamed of who I was. I was ashamed of my past. There was so many lies I had believed from the evil one that I was just simply, when men look at pornography, or even when women look at pornography, the majority is men, but women struggle with it too. But I learned there that the idea is we are, when we look at pornography, we're trying to fill a legitimate need. There's some hole in our heart and we have a legitimate need for that to be filled. The problem is, is that pornography is an illegitimate way to fill a legitimate need. And so once I learned that and learned biblical principles, um, I really dove in and that began to be the beginning of change. Now, the next day, I was there two and a half days. The next morning, I texted I texted my wife, apologized, poured my heart out to her, told her I was so sorry. And, and I, I even said, I know you may not forgive me, but dot, dot, dot. And before I left that text or before I added the rest of the sentence, she texts back immediately and said, and this is where I get choked up about it, but she texts back immediately, Dan, and said, I forgive you. And when you come home, we have a clean slate. She chose to trust God more than me, forgave me. And that's the way she is. I'm the guy that could hang on to an offense forever and hold a grudge. And even though I know I shouldn't, it's in my nature and I have to battle that a lot. But she she couldn't forget it because damage, we don't forget things. But she forgave me right away and gave me a clean slate before I even came back. So I was one of the few guys there that knew that when I came home, I was coming, I was diving into an ocean of forgiveness from both our Lord and my bride and her heart for God and her obedience is what saved our marriage. Wow. What a blessing. I can imagine sending that text and just praying for yeah. what, what may come back. Cause it could yeah. have been, it could have, been I would have deserved, 
Yeah, I would have deserved any negative thing she would have gave me. If I lost my family, it would have been on me. I would have been accountable for it. But uh, that's not the way she chose. And let me add in one more thing, even, that if you talk to my bride now about it, she'll say, I wouldn't change a thing. And people would think, are you crazy? He was looking at pornography and you were arguing and fighting and it was a horrible time in your marriage. But her response is, is that it drew her closer to the Lord. It drew me closer to the Lord and it drew us closer together. And for that, who wants to go back and risk losing that? And so um, obviously I'm married to quite the wise, patient and forgiving woman that Kristen <laughs> is. So um, yeah, she's truly wonderful. That is awesome. And that is just incredible to hear your just openness about that. Mm -hmm. And however you grew into that courage or whether you went on that weekend and just immediately afterwards were like, you know, able to speak about it. Right. Well, absolutely. Again, I've, I've always been an open book because um, for for every person out there that would be offended by something I said, there's going to be a hundred guys that you can be strong for someone else who don't want to speak or feel like they can't speak or to point them to how God can save and heal. I mean, that being open and bold and honest about life glorifies God and draws people to him. And you can, I mean, it's an active miracle in my life that my bride stayed. And, and here's the thing too, when you come home from that conference, it's not like, okay, I'm not going to struggle with lust anymore. It doesn't work that way, but I've been able to work with my bride. She sought to understand how she can help me. I've learned, as God taught me, about self-control. You know, the cool thing now is that, you know, I told you before, I had free reign. I could go on my iPad, my computer, whatever, um, my phone, my our laptops, even our movies on, our, on, on TV through our cable, those are all coded. I can't get into any social media. She can look at every bit of history. If she ever says, hey, I want to look at your phone and I want to look at it right now, I will say nothing and hand her my phone and she can look and go anywhere and everywhere possible. And one of the cool things out of that too is that now I have two teenage boys who I can share openly my struggles so they can look to that and avoid those pitfalls as well. They don't need a perfect dad. They need an honest dad. Um, we all need to be honest as dads, as Christian dads about life, both good and bad to help our children grow up and be better. And, and again, glorify God and, and let them know they can go to God for all these things. Mm. So, yeah, that, I've, I've had friends that said, Hey, my 12 year old, my 13 year old, my, you know, whatever my son, and I observe these behaviors and oh my gosh, the sins of the world that repeat themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Guys have different reactions to that. Mm -hmm. They do. Um, but think about this too. I mean, we didn't, I mean, I'm older than you are, but I think both of us, we didn't have the technology no. that our kids have now. Not nope, you know, and I, paper. Yeah. Or, and I or remember, videotapes. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I remember watching the, the Netflix, uh, The Social Dilemma, and you've got guys and girls that used to work for Twitter and Facebook and, and Pinterest and all these things. And after they realized what they've created and, and how these how technology attacks people and their tendencies and feeds to their desires. And, you know, a math algorithm can just hit people in the wrong spot. It's just, it's, it's amazing. So these people that used to work for Facebook, for example, they don't even let their kids have technology because of what they've helped create and wish they didn't. And so um, it is a tougher time now. And if we're not bold and honest with our kids, we're going to let technology raise them. And I am not turning my family over to a world filled with Satan's lustful lures and temptations to let my kids end up losing their life or, or living a life that is not a godly life. I just, I, I won't stand idly by through both my mistakes and through what God's word says. Yeah, absolutely. We've got to protect, provide, humbly lead and do that with joy and have fun, fun throughout it. But yeah, that protecting role has really, really changed in the last five or 10 years because the digital side has changed so much. Right. Like you got to be looking out for new things and be aware of all this new technology that frankly, you know, somewhat I'm a little tired of learning about new technology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uncle on it, but it's driven by big tech, driven by big money. And, you know, it, it's, it can be wonderful technology. I mean, look, mm -hmm. we're able to do this because of technology. For the technology that I want to know about, like, cool. 
yeah. the technology that's more for the 12 or 14 year old or whatever they're into. I'm like, I don't really care to learn that one. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, you know, it's, they, you know, my, my uh, 15, almost 16 year old son, you know, a few months ago said, you know, I'm kind of bored quarantining or COVID or whatever, or virtual school, whatever it may be. I'm going to uh, spend my own money and I'm going to build a computer. So he did, you know, I mean, I, I, how cool wow. is that? And yeah. And he, he uses it for 100% positive things. And, you know, our sons know we can look at their stuff anytime and we've got their passwords and all those things, but they really can be used for great things. But Satan's not going to stop trying to twist and pull and cast doubt and lead us down temptation roads that he wants to rock the foundation. And that's the family. And so he can do that through knowing that we are men of eyes, men of lust and and, and make us fall apart. So I'm always going to be open about that. Yeah, that's great. Just tying the, some of these stories at whatever age the kids are at a, at a level where they can take in the information that you share. But bridging that gap, like, hey, I remember when I was seven also, and I remember yeah. I also did some stupid stuff, whatever the mm -hmm. stupid stuff was. Like, right. If you can convince them to believe that you're not old enough, that you never were seven. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So oftentimes I'll sit down, you know, just sit down and, you know, cuddle or read a story and just share a story of when I wasn't perfect, when I was a younger kid, my yeah. oldest is uh, really, really hard on herself and thinks mm -hmm. she's got to be perfect and all these different things. And it's like, no, 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 none of us are, none of us are perfect. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you know, the cool thing, my wife will tell you, you know, when, like when I, and fearless men, I do the devotionals. Um, a lot of it is through the, the computer and on the phone, but then I'll write, mm -hmm. I've got a, a, a big thick, uh, like a papyrus scroll kind of booklet that I'll do my quiet time on or write stuff out on. But my wife just, she cannot and will not read a devotional or her quiet time on a phone app. She'll do maybe a study or something or follow. Yeah like we do as a family, but she has to read in the legitimate Bible. It's actually a book with printing on paper. And, and that's where I wish we still were. As a matter of fact, there's someone close to you that does it the old fashioned way that has a successful children's book, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, think you're, I think you're married to her. Yes. Yeah. My wife does have a children's book out there that's doing pretty well. Thanks for mentioning that. Absolutely. I see. I think that's so awesome. And, and that's, that's what I miss doing with my kids. It's not the technology, the opening a book with pictures that come to life for the kids. I mean, those are the imprints. So your, in my opinion, your bride in, in putting that book together and, and it's, it's doing it's successful because it's, it's what we need. I mean, obviously she's talented and all that, but that's what really is changing the world. And it, it may not be, you know, she's not, that book won't reach a billion people like Facebook can, right? but for the, the tens or hundreds of thousands or even millions of people that will read that great book that your, your bride has written, those lives are going to be changed for the good. That's going to build father-son, father-daughter, mom-daughter, mom-son relationships and the lessons that can be learned through it. And th those are the things that change lives and leave lasting impressions. So uh, congratulations that you married way above your head. <laughs> and uh, congratulations on uh, to your bride for the success on just an awesome book. I find that fascinating. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Nate saves the world. That was something she worked on for years and years and years. And finally, it all came together at, at, so uh, cool. just before Christmas. So really, really cool. So yeah, Nate saves the world, everybody. <laughs> yeah, make sure you get a copy. I've endorsed it. I'll, I'll endorse it wherever I go. So if you don't get a copy and I find out, I'll use technology and I'll come find you. We'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> so your, your brand, Fearless Men, in the Bible, it says 365 times it mentions, be not afraid. Mm -hmm. Have you got some thoughts around why it, why it says that that many times? And have you ever been challenged either by be not afraid or uh, be anxious for nothing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think a couple of reasons why any time that God takes the time to write something like that over and over again, he knows that we're knuckleheads and we need to get that message 365 times. Now, if it says that 365 times, how many days are in a year? 
Right, exactly. Yep. Okay, so that means that we probably need to hear that every single day because number one, he loves us. He doesn't want us to live in fear. Number two, he gives us the strength to not live in fear. So he understands that, you know, I'm not the best CEO of my life. And if I live on God's fact, I'm going to do all right. But if I live on emotion, I'm going to react to things because emotions go up and down. You know, happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is a decision every day. And so I want to live on fact and make a decision to be joyful in the Lord, not just wait to see, oh, is it a good day? Okay, I'll be happy today. Oh, is it a bad day? Oh, I'm going to be mad and sad today. So when something like that happens in God's word, he's trying to tell us, hey, Number one, I know you're going to have this tendency. There's going to be things in the sinful world that are going to make you scared, but don't because I have your back. I've got you. So he's given us encouragement. He's letting us know what's going to happen out there. But, but number three, that's what builds our faith. What a loving God that he didn't just say it once or twice. Hey, fear not. Um, be of courage. Do not be afraid. And so you can trust in me. I will fight for you. I mean, we talked about David and Goliath, man. He's a teenager going against a nine foot giant who's an accomplished <laughs> warrior from birth. And David didn't run down his side of the hill or didn't just like walk like sideways with his sword up, like with his tongue out, like, okay, where's the weak spot? The dude ran at Goliath. He ran at him. So it might say it 365 times, but how many other times in the Bible do we see examples of God's people living fearlessly, not fearing death or not fearing result because they trusted God? So it's a warning. It's a loving way to show us what's in the world, but it's also a way that he's always doing things in our life to build our faith. And if we'll have, like the Bible says, if we'll have a faith of a mustard seed, we'll be able to move mountains. And so that's why I think he's given that call in our life to be fearless. That's something I've been working on. I don't know, maybe it's been six months, but like truly believing that God can do what I would consider impossible. And mm -hmm asking bigger prayers and stepping into that more and more and more. And right. it's just fascinating to think about all the things that have already happened and then all the things that are possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how many limitations, if you had to think, or I had to think about what, what I can't do. Okay. There's probably a lot more in our life that we think we can't do because there are, we, we litter our minds with so many, I can't remember the statistic, but we litter our minds with so many negative thoughts per day. And because we are thinking in our own strength with our own thoughts in our own mind, instead of realizing, well, well why can't I do that? We disqualify ourselves for so many things before we even fill out the form to enter the race. And so with God, he's, he's not, look, we have free will. He's not, he wants to bless us, but he's not just going to throw himself in, in certain things in our life. Like, well, I'm just going to do this for you. You know, he knows first, he knows what we want and what we need. And most times those two don't match up. I'd rather have what I need than what I want, even though the other one might feel better. But part of that too, is that God wants us to trust him and wants us to ask huge, 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 huge things in our life. I mean, even on the financial side, I mean, anytime that we, like a church who will, well, we're only going to pray within our budget. Well, then you're only going to grow so much. Mm -hmm. um, in this ministry, we're only going to pray up to this point because we think we know that God's not going to give that to us or that's not within our realm. Well, good. You're right, because it's not within your realm. But if you pray bigger things because you know only God can do them, then you get to sit back and watch God do them. So why would anything be different in our own lives? So therefore, we need to be changing our prayers into bigger prayers. And here's the deal. God can say no. You know, we're parents. Our kids ask us for something. The answer is no, I still love you, but it's probably not what's best for you. Or we're going to have to wait a little while for something like that. That's a loving God, not the, not the God that holds the magnifying glass waiting to burn us like an ant as we're walking with an orange on our back kind of thing. So bigger prayers, trusting in God, and really trying to focus on uh, not the negative side, but the positive side of life. Do you ever have uh, anxious or anxiety or those type thoughts come into your life? Have you been talking to my wife again? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, the Bible tells us to be anxious for nothing. And yet, I mean, 
we get anxious about a lot of things. I mean, I get anxious when I have a plan and I'm I'm exercising that plan and all of a sudden I feel like, uh-oh, I don't know that I can do this. I get anxious if one of my kids gets sick. I get anxious. My wife had a little bit of a back issue with some muscular stuff and I get anxious. Okay, is it just muscular? Is she drinking enough water? Did she sleep wrong or is something else wrong? I mean, my bride's only, you know, she's getting ready to turn my, my 52nd birthdays next month and her 45th is shortly after that. And so we're getting to the age where anything can happen. But again, that's in God's control. So yeah, do I get anxious? Sure. I I still have my insecurities and anxieties. But again, I've got an Abba Father that I can go to say, God, I'm anxious. You know, it's I don't want to try to hide that I'm anxious. Do you recognize that these days? faster than ever in my life. The more bold I am, the more consistent I am in his word, the more I get to know the character of God and how much he loves me. I don't feel the need anymore to hide anything from him because I can't hide it anyway. So if I'm anxious, then, oh, you know what, God, I'm anxious about this and I shouldn't be and forgive me for not trusting you and I need you to do your thing. And so I'm not going to be anxious anymore. You know, I could tomorrow, by the end of this day, I could be diagnosed with some horrible disease and sickness and be gone life is but a vapor anyway. Um, I could lose this, lose that. Something could happen to a loved one, lose a job. A number of things can happen, but God does not stop being God and his promises don't stop being true. And so, yes, I get anxious about a lot of things. I got some OCD in me. I have to fight sometimes, like we talked about earlier, to control the eyes and the lustful thoughts and things like that. But over time, I've learned I get anxious if I know I'm going to be home alone. And I'm hungry at the same time, because back when I had the pornography struggles, those were the two things that started that I didn't realize then kind of started the downfall. I made my mind start working and then the bad result would come. So those kind of thoughts make me anxious. Then there's unrealistic anxious thoughts of, well, you know what? No one's ever going to listen to my radio show and I'm going to probably lose my sponsors or no one's ever going to hire me. You know, just these goofy things that come into our mind that Satan tries to blow through there. So, yeah. I get anxious. I I get anxious, but again, learned to give that over to God and say, you know what? I'm just going to be joyful. It's a choice. Joyful isn't always a smile on your face. How are you joyful in sickness? How are you joyful in a negative result or a job loss or something like that? Well, it's a decision that I'm going to, I'm going to be joyful in the Lord because I know he's got something going on that he's trying to grow me in. So let's flip it back. Dan, do you ever get anxious? Uh, there was a time when COVID started, I was so anxious and then yeah. I step into the, the Bible quote, be anxious for nothing. And I'm like, God, this quote is making me anxious. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. telling me to do something. I don't know how, like I, mm-hmm. I shouldn't feel this way, but I'm, I'm locked in. I'm cruising right now on anxiety. Yeah. Like it's not yeah. leaving me and please God help me figure this one out. Like, and I wasn't really all that anxious of a person where I, you know, if I felt it, it was for a short bit. Sure. And this was days, maybe a week. And I'm like, man, I feel guilty. I feel like I'm sinning. I just don't know how to unlock this one. And Mm -hmm. I'll be darned. I didn't, uh, a buddy of mine that does some public speaking and wrote a book and different things created this meeting and he walked through the seven stages of grief after death. I think that's Mm -hmm. what it's called. Mm -hmm. And he compared that to COVID Mm -hmm. change, grief, what you've lost and everything. And walked through that. And I went, huh? Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. That's what I didn't understand. I didn't have names for it. I didn't understand my feelings. And by that little analogy, I was like, Hey, thanks God. That was exactly what I needed. I'm good now. (laughs) Right. So are you an Olympic long jumper? But no, as a matter of fact, I appreciate you thinking that maybe I possibly was. (laughs) Yeah. So here's the point to that, you know, and I'm not either. Um, It's a rare few that can run that fast and spring and jump that far and, and land in a way that they can win at that event. But, but the idea is that there are seven steps of that and you can't go to three or four or five before you get to one and then get to two. And so, you know, we are to forgive other people. Because God says, if you don't forgive other people, I'm not going to forgive you. So we are to be forgiving. Now, there's a, there's a caveat to that. We're still not going to forget because God designed our brains to have memories. But number two, sometimes forgiving people is a choice when you wake up every single day. Sometimes we have to forgive people that have hurt us every single day when we wake up in the morning. So every day for me is a surrender every day. And so with anxiety, 
it doesn't, oh, I'm not supposed to be anxious. God's word says be anxious for nothing. Okay, I'm not anxious for nothing anymore. I won't be anxious ever again in my life until five more seconds pass and then I'm anxious again. And so like anything, God doesn't have these expectations of beings that he created in love to do something supernaturally that only he could do. It take Things take time, but again, it's an opportunity to seek his word, seek his character, learn to grow in faith. God doesn't say snap your fingers and be perfect in faith. He says grow in our faith. And that's what sanctification is. It's a lifelong process of getting closer to God as he draws you near and builds your faith. That's great. Any kind of parting thoughts for Christian dads in general that uh, that you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, Gosh, where do I begin? This, uh, if, if your wife could be a ghostwriter for us in this one, this uh, we could be here forever. So yeah, I'll keep it simple. Um, number one, it, be intentional. The best thing we can do as a Christian dad is to be intentional, get involved. You know, the couch is a place to rest, not a place to live. So we can't spend all our time there. You know, one of the things my dad left when I was 12, he never went to a baseball game. So I committed a long time ago. As long as they want to play, I'm coaching my boys in baseball. My oldest doesn't play anymore, but it was the day he said, you know what? I think I'm done. I said, okay, awesome. And so I stopped. I coached him from age seven or six or seven to until he was 18. Um, now, um, I still coach my younger son who turned 16 in a couple months, and I will continue to be his head coach until he's done. Now, just because I played professionally in baseball doesn't mean that I'm the only person that knows about baseball. What it does mean is, is I could care less if he wins or loses. I want him to remember that dad was there. Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't keep stats. I don't tell my son his batting average. I could care less. I want him to be strong, a strong man of character, be a good team player. You made a commitment. So let's learn about what that means to follow through. And you know what? Exercise this amazing body and glorify God with it since he's given you the ability to play baseball. So be intentional, get involved in your kid's life, know what classes they have, you know, help them with their homework, ask them good questions, go take, take them out to breakfast. If you've got 10 kids, pick 10 days a month, take them out to breakfast. If it gets too expensive, then go buy some cheap eggs and make individual breakfast spend time collectively but date your children um just be intentional the other thing is is that and i failed with this early on is lead them biblically like you said you know the point is is that you wanted to make sure that you were in church so later on when you had kids they would follow suit and so that's important for them to see you build their faith um and then of the many i'll just do one more you know, we talk about being bold and honest. They don't need perfect dads. They need honest dads. So a journey of a Christian dad, we need to be transparent with our children. When we fail, we need to let them know we failed, confess that and apologize for it. Say, hey, I'm sorry, I failed. Here's why I failed. And then come back to that later as a way of helping them get better. And I'll tell you, the best thing I've done for my kids, aside from pointing them to the Lord, is that I need to love their mother well. This home needs to be a place for them. And, and yet, yeah, they know I have failed. I am not defined by my failures. I'm defined by who God says I am. And I need to share that with them. So I, I can't love my bride perfectly. Only Jesus could do that. But I can follow his example and accept her forgiveness. Um, I can learn her love language and invest in her because there are times I'd love to sit and watch a football game and not talk about my day, but I need to talk about my day because that fills her cup. So I guess that would be number four is to love their mother well. So they learn how to love well, and they have a place of, of safety and peace. They know that their home is their biblical godly sanctuary. Oh, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. <laughs> Probably a little bit too long, but hey, God has blessed me so much, and I just want to continue to pass that along. As as men, we like to be respected. So yeah. that was a gut punch when your wife said you don't deserve respect. Dude, it was a <laughs> she reached in my gut, pulled out my spine, and showed it to me when she said that, man. Wow. But it was so true. And our wives like to be prioritized. Mm -hmm. And often yeah. as guys, we've got other priorities, and we say that our wife is a priority but right. we show it in a different way. So, well, the Bible was very clear and God obviously knows what he's doing. He didn't say husbands respect your wives. You know, I want my wife to love me. I need my wife to respect me, but I have to earn it. 
And my wife needs me to love her. And one way to love her for my wife is quality time. I need to spend time with her. I need, if she wants me to snuggle, okay, I'm, I don't, if I want to, if I'm going to lose my man card for saying the word snuggle, okay, but I still need to snuggle because I don't answer to you. I answer to her. Yeah. So I need to know her love language and I need to foster that love language because it's a give and take like anything. And so, you know, that's p- part of being a great Christian dad is being a great husband under God because they see that they see that example. It makes them feel loved and safe. And my wife even says, one of the things that makes me attracted to you in every way is the way you love our children. And Hey, what better benefit? Love your kids for, because they're awesome, but there are other benefits too. So Hey, why not? So if we were to come up with a challenge for the guys, what, what challenge might you have? Mm, wow. Um, gosh, there could there could be uh, many, many things. I would say for for seven days, for seven days, for the next seven days, once you listen to this podcast, for the next seven days, every bit of leisurely time you might have before you're able to sit down and turn on a TV and watch a game or listen to something or music or go work in the garage or whatever, write it down if you have to, but for seven days before you do anything that you enjoy, serve your bride and serve your kids. And if they want to play a game, if they want to watch a movie, if they want to, you know, my, my, uh, my 16 year old wants to go in the basement and hit into a net. We can't because it's snowing today. So um, he wants to go in the basement and hit. So I, at 12 o'clock, I could eat lunch because, oh, it's what I want to do and I want to feed my, my gut or I can take him downstairs on his lunch break and do some soft toss and do some tea work. I can eat later. So for seven days, serve your family first and foremost and see how much joy and blessing you get out of it and see how their countenance changes. We don't do things to get blessing, but the result when we do it with the right heart and right motive is amazing blessing. See how much in just a week, your relationship with your bride and or your kids improves by selling out and serving them unequivocally and just see what happens. Ooh, that's a great challenge. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And that may change some perspective for, for the guys, for the dads. Yeah. And understand, I'm, I'm, and I'm not perfect at that. So anything I tell you, it's not like I've had the secret. I do it well, and you should too. No, that's not the case. There are times where you know the football playoffs are coming on this weekend. Yep. I want to watch it, but I think I've earned enough of my wife's respect and time with her that she knows, and we're going to watch it together because she loves it too. We're going to go hang out with some friends and watch it too. So there's a great give and take there. You know, I'll, I'll end the point with this. Sometimes I talk too much. I apologize. <laughs> I went to hear my buddy speak years ago. His name's Rod Hanley. He's CEO of Character That Counts. And it's all about accountability. And um, he's had, he's been doing it for 30 years. And there's these little TGIW, Teaching God's Infinite Wisdom pods that meet Tuesday and Wednesday morning. And they're meeting both virtually and in person. It started in Lee Summit. Now it's all over the world. Been doing it 30 years. Wow. So he was going to speak on character and accountability. And I like to be early. Like when once we were going to movies, even now that you can book your own seat, you can reserve your own seat. I still want to be there. I want to be there to listen to the music and get my popcorn and just get ready and be seated and ready to go. I don't want to be late. So this day to hear him speak, I was late and I walked into church and this place was packed. One of the first speakers had already talked. There's one seat in the back of the room. It is a grandmother holding a baby who's only wearing a diaper. And that diaper needed to be changed about three hours ago. And she's fighting, bickering with her daughter. So it's grandma, daughter, and baby. And I that's where I got to sit. So I go there and I sit down trying to get myself ready. I'm already late. I'm already frustrated. I look up. They'd announced my buddy, Rod Hanley. And this is what he said. He said, If we go out into the world and minister to the world, but don't do it at home, shame on us because our ministry begins in the driveway. And I got up and left. I got up and walked out. I didn't need to hear another thing because I would have been thinking about that the whole time. I had not been ministering to my family way back then when I heard him say that. And so I hung a sign in my garage at the time that every time my garage lifted, your ministry begins here. And so that's Mm. kind of along the lines of why I put that challenge in there. If I'm ministering in the world, but I'm not ministering at home, I've got it completely backwards and I need to flip that script. Wow. What a message to 
again, just get punched in the gut with. Yeah. My, my <laughs> apologies, but you know, God's a boxer. You didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Well, thank you for blessing our group and uh, all the dads that are listening. And I just appreciate you greatly. And I, I love being a part of your community also. And uh, I, I can't wait to see where this, where this takes us and see, see both of our communities grow. So. Well, thanks for all you do. And, uh, you know, this podcast is huge and I hope this continues to blow up because, um, you know, God is going, God is continuing to be glorified and we need to stand up, especially not just as godly men, but godly men in a world that's getting more and more sinful by the second there's chaos, but again, be anxious for nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, we are to be fearless. We are to have courage. We're to trust in God and we need Christian dads to step up and, and raise this next crew of warriors that God's going to use until Jesus comes again. You know, God's going to use them, but he's called us to do it. The church doesn't raise our kids. It's a supplement. We are to raise our kids biblically to love God, to love people and to fight in this world. And so what you're doing and helping raise godly Christian dads is, is huge, man. So thanks for all you do. And uh, anytime I can help, I'm here and I just <laughs> awesome. will continue I will continue to pray that God blesses this ministry because we need it, man. We need it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's a perfect ending. And thank you so, so much. God Absolutely. Thanks for having me, brother. Thank you. You bet. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light. Shine that light out and let others see it. With you guys, part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. It helps me be accountable to myself be accountable to God and Jesus. Hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. Hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others, join us inside of the journey of a Christian dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others, have your buddies join, have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, thanks for blessing all of us and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.